Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're talking today about Season 2, Episode 1, titled Waiting for Dutch. Just before we get into it, what do you think? What are your thoughts? I thought, I, I thought it was incredible. Like, what did you think when the UFO showed up? What the fuck? Sure. <laughs> sure. And I was like, how is there a car coming from the woods? What's going on here? Oh, no, that's a straight-up UFO. Yeah, and so I I saw in an interview that uh, Noah, the show creator, Noah Hawley, said that the three biggest influences on this year's Fargo TV show, as far as Coen Brothers movies, is Fargo. Okay, obviously. I would hope so, yeah. Uh, the Man Who Wasn't There and Miller's Crossing. Those two latter Ooh. ones are the... I think the only two blind spots I have, so I'm gonna try. I'm gonna watch those within the next week. That's yeah. I haven't seen either of those, but I guess there is a there's a UFO alien abduction plot in the man who wasn't there. Okay, uh, but but not knowing wonder, that, I'm like, what the? F-? And I was trying yeah. to like, how is this going to fit and contextualize within this far? And then the guy get ran over, and I'm like, ah, yeah. It, I mean, this show seems like they can it can juggle any number of those things like i thought the <laughs> intro was very almost wes anderson going from that really it, hokey yeah reenactment of a non-existent ronald reagan film i was so confused at the beginning yeah what the fuck does this have to sure. do anything with what i'm going to see sure of, of you know the the characters that uh are going to be regulars here in uh, fact when the the metro uh metro golden lion yeah. started roaring uh, I, I was watching this on On Demand um, yeah, because we were otherwise occupied on Monday night. And I looked at the On Demand. I'm like, the fuck did I? Because it sometimes acts up and plays the wrong title or <laughs> uh-huh. it's kind of laggy and weird. And then as I was trying to figure out how to do that on the remote, I heard the Fargo theme yeah. kind of launch in that old black and white style of movie the- theater music. And I'm like, oh, so and weird, I, and, and I, I remember Steppenwolf saying that it's got as weird an intro as, in its own way as the leftovers. Did. And I'm like, oh, okay, so this is what this is. Yeah, and I I don't know how I feel about the whole uh, Jimmy Carter speech over with the music and like I'm it saying. didn't it, feel very Fargo to me. I, I thought to it, start off with, yeah, but you know, as you get deeper into the episode, of course, sure. it feels like Fargo, but it, it still felt Cohen Brothers though. I, I felt felt like it was really. Veering hmm. some of the more fanciful stuff they do, I, and I thought it was again veering towards Wes Anderson, Moon Moonrise Kingdom kind of territory. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was thoroughly Fargo by the time we got to the Waffle Hut. Yeah, honestly, my first watch through of this, I was not super excited about it. Really? Like I I watched through it and I was like, okay, these these characters are kind of they're not gripping me like the first season of Fargo did. Immediately. Wow, I, I mean, totally disagree. I every sec, character... well, second time through, I was much more impressed by it. But okay. first time through, yeah, it just wasn't doing it for me. I was worried because I think the leftovers on Sunday night was just awesome, yeah. and The Walking Dead was better than it. Pro- we had the right to expect of it to be. And I was mm-hmm. thinking, I, you're right. I I didn't feel a real excitement about it since like, yeah, everyone says this is amazing, but how can it be that good? How can it be like? You know, people are saying it's it's the Godfather two to the Godfather, which I you know, and then I'm and then when I when I hear people say that, I'm like, well, wait a second, well, I don't do necessarily mean? subscribe to that opinion, mm-hmm. uh, even though it's a popular one. So I was kind of nervous, but within like ten minutes, man, mm-hmm. like once we met the brothers, uh, and we got into the IBM Selectric plot, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is what the season's going to be all about, going to be yeah. Kieran. Culkin trying to. I would have loved to see do this more word processor Culkin. scam, and yeah. then he died. It's I man, they really swing for defenses. You got to respect that. Yeah, certainly. Uh, real quick about the director, I've got a probably bad joke to make here. Okay. But, uh, director is Randall Einhorn, who did, who also directed the episode of Always Sunny, How Mac Got Fat. Oh. See where I'm going with this? Strikes again. I want to see him do an episode how Jesse Plemons got fat. <laughs> because, <laughs> man, Jesse Plemons looks a lot different with a lot of weight. I, well, 
I, yeah. I know how he got fat. He bulked up for a movie he did. Yeah, and, well, Shane said his black mass in the forums. Yeah, uh, and then they were like, yeah, just keep on the weight, you know? You're, yeah. You're from... You're from Minnesota. If you, the you, northern you're no Midwest. You're fried cheese and curds and... Yeah. Uh, and your wife's feeding you hamburger helper every night, so. Every night, and that's... that's And tater tots, and that's what you think is good food. Yeah. Uh, like special treat food. I Yeah, he's interesting. I mean, we talked about this, but in the preview cast... But it's so interesting to see this guy essentially make a career out of playing a live-action version of the Matt Damon puppet from Team America World Police. <laughs> That's You know what? If you got a niche, I go for it. I like, guess. I don't, as long as they, they don't try to stretch him beyond his range, I, and I don't frankly know what his range <laughs> is yet because He's we've only... He's actually a PhD in theoretical physics. and Maybe he is. Uh, has a Nobel Peace Prize and several patents to his name. I mean, maybe he can do a lot more, but the only roles I've seen him in are ones where, yeah, he plays this yeah, sort I, of same kind of sure, character. Sure, uh, But as long as he... As long as he's doing the good the good job that he did, does with those characters, why is that a problem? Like, I... He I did like look him. much more manly fat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, there's a time... He looks less boyish and more like a man. Too. Right, like, Todd, you know, Todd from Breaking Bad, unless he had a gun, I think he loses that fight to oh, Macaulay yeah. Culkin's kid brother, but... I think so. But uh, as someone on the forum said, uh, meet Damon, though, he's not going to stand <laughs> for that. I love that name. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, I also heard Fat Damon. You know, Kevin from Home Alone's kid brother, you're not kicking my ass, man. <laughs> I'm going to garden trial you to death. It was... Yeah. And that's that's quintessential Fargo, just the brutality amongst these very nice Midwestern people. Oh, yeah. I love it. I, I was actually reading, um, to, to kind of get into the, the episode a little bit more, um, I, wondering what this opening had to do with anything. With this movie, waiting for, waiting for Dutch. Well, the, and Brian it, V and Stephanie E's before, or right after we had our last week's podcast, said waiting for Dutch is probably going to be a Ronald Reagan nickname if he's yeah. in the episode. And of course it was. And of I, course it was. Yeah. I wasn't alive at the time, so I don't even know uh, about the Dutch nickname. But uh, yeah, so I, I was reading around trying to figure out what it was all about, and the AV Club had a, a an inspired take on on it, in my opinion, hmm. where they were like, okay. Think about the era, right? Sure, like, no. They're, they're coming out of they're, they're coming out of this uh, malaise, just really bad, yeah, Crisis stagnation on everything, stagflation, stagflation on everything. Don't undersell it, man. Sure, another term. That America's I'm not on the ropes. With. America's on the ropes, sucking wind. And and so this Jimmy Carter speech at the beginning is kind of opening up with his viewpoint, saying, "Look, here's the mistakes we made and are currently making, and kind of looking backwards at the past, right? Yeah." Whereas Reagan's message when he was running was all about the future. Yeah. And we're going to build a better America. Are you better off now sure. than you were four years ago? Um, and, and that kind of translates to a lot of the aspirational um, ideas. And and they were comparing it to the narratives of, of reality versus the narratives of um, what we want. Sure. And I, and I feel like there are a lot of characters in here who were also going through that same crisis. Rye. Uh, yeah. Kieran Culkin's character being the chief one among them. Kirsten Dunst, though. Kirsten Dunst, Ed Ed uh, Blomquist, Jesse Plemons. Mm. His character has this very specific vision of what his future is going to be, and sure. Peggy doesn't share that vision. Yeah. So uh, I, I thought you got that guys was a, like poor Lou, whose vision of the future is threatened by cancer, something he has no control over. Yeah. And then overall, you know, everyone here is waiting for Dutch. Everyone's looking for that future, mm-hmm. for this this malaise to kind of be parted and get through that. My, my. Jim Jones, your poet this morning. I no, not me. <laughs> AV Club, man. Okay. AV Club, who I normally don't give much credit to, but when they do something right, I like to shout it out. Sure. Uh, we talked about this intro, but there there are a couple of things coming off the intro that I really like. Um, this shot of, like, Kieran Culkin driving down the road with the camera on the hood Kind of everything is blurry around him, and, and oh boy, was cool. are you talking about the nighttime scene where he's talking to Judge? Uh, no, oh. that one is cool too. Because as I said, there's that twilight scene of the road and the fence posts by the road, and I'm like, oh boy, uh, the money the we're money. thinking. Yeah. But that's that's the location, yeah. I mean, I know there's got to be a, so. a hundred thousand miles in Minnesota, yeah, and the Dakotas and what Wisconsin that looks exactly like that road, yeah. So. There might be a hundred different Fargo roads across the United States, but that does look like the Fargo road. It looks very similar, and I yeah. feel like that. That's I'm. It's 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 an example of Chekhov's road. 
because I'm feeling even more strongly now that this money is going to be what ties all these seasons together. It might. And we know that there's going to be large money at stake because these two criminal organizations are about to go to war. One that's yeah. uh, old school, very, very mafia, but in a distinctly Midwestern. I mean, they were all menacing, but mm-hmm. they had these like different folksy sayings and whatnot. Uh, like whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a different, it doesn't, and I thought that it would make them look ridiculous, but it doesn't. It just adds color to them. Yeah, you know, Everything looks a little ridiculous in this place, but you know that underneath it, there are real people doing real things. The same real things that are happening in New York or L.A. Sure. or any any other town. And if right? you look at some of the Italian expressions in Godfather, some of that stuff is kind of kooky. Oh, but, sure. But we're used to it. Yeah. Like, hey, sleep with the fishes, the peziovantes, the big shots. <laughs> like, that's part sure. of the language of this is what a tough gangster looks like mm-hmm. when you see guys, you know... I forget what the all all the crap that they were saying, um, but uh, especially the um, Colonel Tig, mm-hmm. he just was it was just flowing. Michael Hogan. Yeah, yeah, like I didn't even. It's, I, it's Colonel Ty. Tig is the oh, comedian. Is it? I think. Ah, <laughs> well, see, I I don't. I've only saw one season, and I mostly know his character yeah. from the board game. It's Ty. You you God know him. It. You know him when he has both eyes. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. It, can I just say? What I feared has come to pass. That they are going to criminally underuse Michael Hogan in this series. Well, and you could also make the case that they're criminally underusing uh, the uh, uh, Kieran Culkin, the Culkin kid, because <laughs> uh-huh. he was. I was so interested in seeing him. There was, yeah. you know, I, it's funny when I see these anthologies. Uh, Cecily and I talked about this in the preview for American Horror Podcast. But your first kind of instinct is to pound these people into the pegs that they were in seasons before because it's mm. you know it's yeah, like yeah. okay who's the lester nygaard this yep. season and who's the the lorn and i saw people on the forums playing that game too i think the lester is peggy kristen dunst kirsten dunst sure almost to a t yeah but i also don't think noah's that you know well I, there's some people that are different i, I saw some a lot of accusations of hackery and plagiarism and hmm. even some mild rebuke in her mailbag but uh what you call plagiarism i call homage <laughs> yeah well, it was a it's a fine line it and is, yeah. it's it's only ripping it off if you don't do anything interesting like if you go to all the trouble to just do a paint by numbers fargo remake then that is essentially tracing you know, it's yeah. the artistic version yeah. of tracing. But if you start cutting things out and assembling them in different shapes to tell a new story, well, then you got a collage. And last I looked, that's mm-hmm. a its own respected form of art. So mostly, yeah. <laughs> I but no, I I I don't think he's a he's a hack about this stuff at all. But I thought that Kier, just to go back to my the yeah. Kieran, did I butcher his name? Nope, you got okay. it. Okay, <laughs> I thought he was going to be. Um, kind of a combination Lorne Lester, like a hybrid. Mm, okay. Um, or to, to, to be more right on the nose, the Steve Buscemi character. Yeah. He's a, a malevolent force. complex sort but of he's thing. Ki- and he's, he's, he's good with the violence, but also kind of incompetent. Yeah. He's not taken seriously. Like, I, I really love that. But he's still a threat. He's like the wild card that can really fuck up everybody else's plans and ultimately yeah. is the... The the thing that comes out of the machine that makes everything fall apart. Uh-huh. Boom, he's dead. I, yeah. And then when he starts thrashing around the garage, I'm like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> nope, so boom, that's how these again. two are going to get mixed up in this large... Nope, he's still dead. <laughs> I'm like, wow. So what yeah. is going on with uh, you know Jesse Plemons and uh, Kirsten Dunst now? Like, How are they going to be re-involved in the main plot? I mean, they got... It's interesting because this unravels, going back to that story narrative, right? Yeah. This unravels the true narrative of, the, the true story of Peggy's life, which is being stuck with in this life that she doesn't want. She wants to, like, get out to California or something mm-hmm. um, with this man who she doesn't really seem to love. Um, and it it unravels the false narrative that Jesse Plemons, Ed, has been telling himself about this woman and their life and their future together. So there, there's kind of the duality there of their stories. The two different types of stories are both being unraveled by this one event. Ed Ed is doing everything he can to preserve it, and I feel like Peggy is doing the opposite. Yeah. Like, let's drive this fucking train off the rails. 
Yeah, because I hate anything this train. to shake up. I yeah. I was wondering if they're going to go with the tropey, like, oh my gosh, my husband, uh, my man did violence, so now I'm suddenly attracted. And no, no, because he's still Fat Damon. <laughs> sure, he's still the same guy. Yeah, uh, but how? So they got Rye in the freezer, and I'm wondering how this is all going to connect together. Because obviously, it seems yeah. like what's going to happen initially is this going to be a big mistake in identity that. The uh, Gernhards, is that the... Gerhardt? Gerhardt. Yeah. They're going to think that the Southern Menace has moved in and clipped Ryan, right? Hmm. Meanwhile, that's just some... I suppose so, yeah. They don't know what happened. Pokey accident. And for... The typewriter guy might be able to connect it. How? If if he's smart enough. How? Like, I told him about this judge. This judge is dead. Uh, who would do that? We'll be able to right? connect that, but who clipped Ryan? Like, oh yeah, nobody Ryan. knows. That's what I'm saying. It's that's that, a that, random I think act it's of be violence. Assu- assume that that's the Southern gangsters, though, that Could are moving be. in on them. That yeah. they don't even know who they are. Uh huh. And one thing I really liked is the the contrast in styles. Like Between when you had Brad two. Garrett up and, and talking about this hostile takeover, and it's very corporate merger type speak. Whereas, yeah, I started to say this before the Gern. The Gerhards, the Gernhards. I'm gonna see how many ways I can mispronounce that this season. Any bets on that? Four over. Oh, I was gonna go ten. Oh wow. Okay. Because um, I'm not even drinking today. I mean, that's not gonna. That's that's not gonna hold as it gets colder. I mean, Gerhards an obvious one too. Yeah. Right. Uh, get Gerd, Gerd, Gerd Hirt. Um, so the Gerd Hirts. Very old school classic. You understand them as gangsters. Mm-hmm. You know, they're multi-generational and they rule this region of the fist. And you, they've even got kind of classic mob interests, trucking and transportation. And sure. Probably a little trash removal in there somewhere. <laughs> uh-huh. But these these Kansas City mafia types are very corporate raiders. Um, and they seem yeah. like they're more organized. Like. And then, and they've got you know Brad Garrett is kind of the menacing guy, but he's not as menacing as what's uh, Dodd and Bear. Uh, yeah, those guys are monsters. It seems like it. So, I mean, we haven't really seen them do anything yet, but the, yeah, they're visually pretty intimidating. Yeah, in different ways. Oh yeah. Uh, but I I like this. And and how in the heck is is uh, Meet Damon and uh, Mrs. Spider Man? Because I don't know any of their names. How 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 in the world are they <laughs> going to get into between the situation? Yeah, it's very under. It's very easy to understand how Ted Danson and Lou and all those guys are going to get involved. They're the cops, but yeah, sure. he's outside. You know, it seems like there are going to be some you know loose threads that are going to. It'd be unravel. like if Lester had accidentally killed Lorne. Mm-hmm. That you know the only reason Lester was involved is because he kind of got into Lorne's orbit and then had the temerity to try to look him up later. Yeah, I, I, it's of course I didn't see any of that coming too. But I would really love to know how Meet Damon and uh, family are going to get drug into this gang war. Well, just wait ten weeks and you'll know. <laughs> uh, d- did you know that that the bear Gerhardt is the lead actor in the Mule? Did you recognize him from that? Yes. Now yeah. that you Angus said Samson. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So I'm sure you know, there I will be a plot I involving... I didn't see him as menacing in that at all. No, no. He played very guess, much a, a nobody of a character. Yeah. I guess when your entire acting challenge is trying not to poop for 90 <laughs> yeah. minutes, it doesn't, you know, just constipation is not not menacing. And in this, it looks Unless like it's, it's going to be exactly the opposite, right? I'm, yeah. stuck in, I'm stuffing my gut full of turkey at midnight with the fridge open. This guy is like a evil version of grizzly adams yeah yeah uh i I do want to talk a little bit more about the style of this episode because i I do think they do a great job with the juxtaposition of both you know what's what's in the foreground and what's in the background here like when kristen dunst is talking about oh yeah i panicked you know I, i i didn't know what to do and and then we see on the screen very much in like a true detective sort of way Something else entirely happening. Mm. She's very calm. She's handling this situation and almost thinking about, like, you know, what this is going to do to her life and, and the ways in which it will change it while yeah, almost in like, this calm way. Uh, she goes from hitting a guy who I don't, I mean, obviously, I don't think she planned this, sure. to wait a second. This could be my ticket out because my husband's an idiot and he loves me very much. And if I can sell him on this idea that 
I'll go to jail or something bad will happen to our family, then I'll have yeah. him help. I'll, you know, he'll be the Clyde to my Bonnie. Yeah. I mean, she naked manipulation. I mean, at first it doesn't right now. It doesn't seem like there are many strings to be pulled there. But when you, when you kind of think about this for a second, well, okay, you've got a guy who's not really inclined to do much uh, of anything with his life. Apparently, um, and, and you've got this woman who he desperately loves and seems like he would do whatever it takes to keep them together now that he's killed a man and is not mm-hmm. uh, reporting it. Yeah. I I feel like she's going to very soon turn that around on him and now use this sure. as a string to pull um, on the puppet that is Meet Damon. <laughs> yeah. To get him to do exactly what she wants. Yeah, and I... She definitely reminds me of Lester, which is another way of saying she also reminds me of Jerry from the first Fargo, where she's just kind of her first almost first instinct is to lie to kind of get her way and to manipulate people and to take advantage Uh of people to have affection for them, which is it's, you know, up until now in the Fargo universe, that's been a kind of a masculine trait. Sure. Those those have been male characters and not to see it do it. And which is. Weird, because I think stereotypically, the manipulative roles tend to go to women. So it's like, yeah, Fargo was gender bending before it's cool. And now it's gender gender bending. <laughs> okay. Rebendering. Sure. Uh, that's I think that's interesting, too. Also, it, I think it's interesting that Kristen Dunst seems like she's being made up to look older and kind of more used up and spent than I think she really is. I don't know about that. I don't know. I, I'm not confident to say, but I'm wondering if there's going to be some slight kind of how Lester was more suave and you kind of bought him oh. as a ladies man towards the end. I wonder yeah. if she's going to have a similar transformation where she gets a little bit more stylish and her makeup is not because I'm telling you those that makeup is not doing her any fucking favors. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's so like I didn't. <laughs> so I, yeah, I wonder if they're going to make her. Uh, like a physical transformation to kind of sell her comp or she's going to be more of a, you know, gangster, a gun ball to, I don't know, whatever the cool term is or. Yeah. Could be. Femme fatale. There you go. Sure. I'd like to see that. Um, and, and the other thing stylistically that really struck me is when Michael Hogan's having his stroke, like it's, it, his face. I don't know if they his pinch eye. it in or like. Plus, did you notice what he did with his eye? Sure, a little uh, twitch action there. No, it like it like is that I don't know if that's CGI or he can do that, but he actually made one of his eyes oh. go off crazy in the other direction. They did it to Joffrey too. I wonder if that's a uh... it just, it it looks almost otherworldly in a weird sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then smash cut that to that overhead shot of the frozen road, mm-hmm. which is. Like a surreal image that I've I can't remember seeing anywhere else. It's just really strange. Mm-hmm. And I th- those two shots cut Something together, like the glassy kind of yeah, look to it. yeah, just like this crystal clear ice just overlaying the countryside with this road kind of carved through it. Yeah, it I don't know. It's super surreal to me, and it kind of set off the the style of this episode. Yeah, in a really interesting way. Uh, I was impressed with Ted Danson. Yeah. We didn't get to see a lot of him, but when he walks in in that sheriff's uniform with that beard, I've always thought of Ted Danson as kind of like congenial or genial, congenial. I think that's something you get at birth <laughs> and and he's, he's genial congenitally. Uh, but I always think this is like kind of friendly, kind of lackadaisical guy. The bartender, right? Yeah. yeah. That's what he's played in like two different series. Sure. Um, and he, I thought he was a tough-looking son of a bitch. I was really impressed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw him in Becker, which I watched a lot of. For yeah. For some reason, I was, like, up late on no, reruns that's, uh, or something. Probably because uh, it had uh, Jack Zia Dax in it. Uh, yes, it also had her, which <laughs> was not bad. Uh, but he he plays kind of a, you know, disgruntled asshole in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit who doesn't really like people and stuff but this was even a different role than that it was like i i don't know he seems so, tough on the exterior and kind of caring underneath a little bit like he's asking questions about um Lou's wife which and is her his cancer. daughter that's his daughter it, maybe i think so because he has a different last name than Salverson yeah it's like Larson or something yeah 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess that's how that would work. <laughs> right. But uh, Seven Walls said something that I couldn't quite follow about how interesting it was that Molly was the daughter of a like the like a daughter of a cop of a cop of a daughter of a okay. daughter. Like it's like it, the way it kind of pinballs through, like almost like it's it's the 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 cop trait follows on the f- female side. Of, <laughs> I don't uh-huh. know. I can't figure it out. I still can't. It's like an odd sentence construction. But no, I thought. It's, that was kind of cool, me seeing them. And that I was kind of expecting there'd be a rivalry between them for some reason. Like, there'd be bad blood, but they seem to be really friendly. One guy's working state, one guy's yeah. working local. You know what I think is going to be super confusing for people who aren't listening to podcasts or reading the internet? Um, guys like us not about it. In- interchangeably using nicknames and actor names and character <laughs> names <laughs> yeah, people front. People who are this into it and are listening <laughs> to podcasts can get past that. Okay. I don't know that they will understand necessarily without that final line from Lou that this was Molly. That the daughter is Molly. I think that is... Without that line, it's impossible to know. But I also think that that will be made clear in the fullness of time. Like, this isn't their only opportunity to introduce us to young Molly. Yeah, but if you want to anchor people in like, okay, this is Lou from the first series, Molly's father. Yeah. uh, I think... Maybe a little bit more on that would have been nice. But do you think that's kind of, you know, if we we always talk about the George Martin three-step reveal where you put something that's like really subtle for the diehard people to feel smart about and then you kind of put something pitched more to the maybe slightly above or average intelligence level and then you slap someone in the face just so no one gets left behind, right? Mm -hmm. I could see them being low-key about this as so like a more casual Fargo fan could realize, oh... Oh, Solverson. This is this. That was this Molly's is this name. Sioux Fall things that that old Lou was talking about, and that will be like a revelation for them. Whereas you're right, the one percent fandom that's listening to podcasts and getting on Reddit. Yeah, it's a thing. I already knew that going in. So maybe maybe yeah. that was a cool moment yeah. for people who are like, oh, oh, wow, sure, wow, this is all going to take place around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, but I, I, and I think that uh, Patrick Wilson, I yeah. don't. I don't necessarily see him as tough. Like even I think that was one of his interesting things for like the Watchmen is to watch his kind of like pudgy nerd transform into Night Owl again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that kind of be more of his true identity. Uh, he played convincingly tough. Like kind of shocking how non-Minnesota nice he was when he was showing up at the Waffle Hut and kind of ignoring that trucker and just yeah, uh, as, and making his own conclusions. Yeah, he seems very focused on what he's doing. Yeah, and and none of the uh, cops last season, I mean, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but none of them were imposing in any way. Like, Molly was clever and smart, but she wasn't, you know, like, she couldn't just, like, stare a person down and and make them put their gun away and and wet their pants the way that these guys and, you know. Better Call Saul couldn't do it. No, fuck and, no. Uh, and Colin Hank, Hanks, Colin couldn't, Hanks do it, no. couldn't do it either. It's like top to bottom, this was a Keystone Cops outfit. Yeah, I wonder uh, what Lou thinks as he's drinking in his coffee shop and watching. It's like <laughs> watching other than my fools. girl, everyone um, is shaming themselves in this force that I used to that I that I used to run, and her dad used to. Of course, yeah, yeah, they were both. She was a sheriff, wasn't she? So she's falling after I don't her remember. granddad and her. But anyway, I don't. I can't remember if that was like state or local or what she sure. was. It was but. Brown. I always can associate that with the county, county sheriffs. Yeah, it might have been county. Okay. But then again, it's 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 Fargo, so maybe everybody wears brown up there. Maybe so. <laughs> uh, what else do we want to talk about? The the diner scene was great. I love that shootout. Yeah, um, it was a really exquisite piece of action, mm-hmm. and it had a nice beat to it. Yep. Um, and the way they kind of film things with like, I, I really like the the one guy attacking with the frying pan. Like that was a really. Yeah. And they showed that like everyone was more tough and brave than you would have thought of. Like from the judge to beginning, like she doesn't give a fuck. Like yep. you're Macaulay Culkin's kid brother's not going to intimidate her. You could see it spiraling out of control. Yeah. From the very beginning. And then I love, I absolutely love the line she sprays him in the face with bug spray. Yeah. He pulls the gun, he turns around and she's like, Oh crap. Yeah. Like, like I, sli- I misjudged this. 
I'm I'm still do like I've done the thing that I need sure. needed to do here, but right. it has backfired. It's going to cost and, me. Yeah, but still, like she could have played dead on the table, but she gets up and stabs him with a steak <laughs> knife. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, she doubles down. She does. And you know, the fry cook again. We find out he's later an athlete, but he comes charging around trying to take this guy out. Almost does it. Uh, and even the, I've learned a lesson. Even the waitress was able to pull herself off the ground and try to get out yeah. of there again. She got the farthest. <laughs> just, just play dead. Like, right. That's the the bald news strategy is is opossum. Yeah. Study the mighty opossum <laughs> and how it lives to to be creepy another day. Yep. Roll up into a hideous ball, shit yourself, have some drool and spittle come out of your mouth. Nobody will want to fuck with and you. And for God's sake, don't scream while you're charging at someone. <laughs> Just charge. <laughs> just charge. Just charge. If their back's turned, just I charge. I think that's part, that's kind of like something primal. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Like you're not thinking, or, or maybe you are Homer Simpson style, like, don't scream, don't scream, don't, ah, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's just natural. Um, the, so this, this, the swinging door was interesting, too. I like sure. that. Uh, this is also a period piece. Uh, and I yeah. think they did like either the cop cars look very cool, the uniforms look cool, their hairstyles and the uh, houses makeup look and like hell. <laughs> everything was was really well done. And what did you think of the decision to do some more seventies style camera tricks, like the I like know, it. The, the split screen? Mm-hmm. That's like a it. very throwback. Like you, I thinking where have we seen that? Ang Lee's The Hulk. Uh, Scott Pilgrim did it a couple times because it was intentionally trying. Th- and those two yeah. were trying to go for a comic book effect and and less of a seven. I think maybe sure. Ocean's Eleven, but that's another one that was oh, yeah. trying to evoke that Rat Pack sort of. Sure, feel. yeah, yeah. I thought it. I thought it suited the visual style. It I wasn't so distracting too. at all. No, no. I, above all, like this show has a texture to it, a feel that really just gets draws you in. You know, it's. It's not necessarily about being slick and cool. It's about does this feel right for the yeah. show? And I think they nail it every time. Yeah. What do you think of Ron Swanson's conspiracy theorist <laughs> named Carl Weathers? Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. That's an element that I suppose would come out of the Watergate stuff. Plus, it's also afterward. a little bit of a Walter Easter egg from yeah. It, it's a yeah, remake, totally. a Big Lebowski remake. Uh-huh. Down to the fact he's got this unassuming little sidekick that's kind of hanging on his every word, but yeah, you think he'll end up getting cremated at the end? <laughs> ashes spread through, <laughs> I don't know, Duluth or something. Uh huh. <laughs> on maybe. the frozen road. Yeah. What else do we want to talk about? Um, did when Kieran Culkin's in the garage and Rye, and he's kind of oh yeah, trying to get out this door. Do, Oh, did yeah. you did that evoke a zombie for it you? It was very, very horror horror film. Okay, me too. And, and with the flashlight kind of flashing in and him making his animal noises, totally. Oh yeah, and yeah. everybody's had a flashlight like that, right? Sure, it doesn't quite work, and you hit it just right, and it'll turn off. That's what all like. I'm amazed at the quantum leap that flashlights took from like the 70s to the 90s, and like no new material in was invented. Yeah, like LEDs were still to come, but Maybe it's like the machining just you got went from better. these shitty little aluminum casing jobs of switches that were had like fucking cardboard in it. Yeah. Like when those come, come <laughs> apart, it's like fucking cardboard. Yeah, and and they went to that from like plastic, and you got the mag lights that you could beat a man to death with to have mm-hmm. focus. Just I don't know why we ever put up with those mm. shitty D cell aluminum jobs i think the manufacturing techniques just got more precise and better meet damon could have died because of that flashlight you're right yeah you know? fortunately he's a, had the, heart, the art of shaking it and slapping it just right so that, that <laughs> shit would make contact but... speaking of the garage and that scene oh there yes there's an easter egg in this yep uh kind of along the lines of this full ass full-blown ass ufo <laughs> sighting um the on the shelf in the garage behind Kirsten Dunst as she comes out after they've, they've killed Kieran Culkin. Yeah. Um, there's an alien face. Like, it looks almost like a toy mm-hmm. on one of the shelves. Yeah. It looked like a gumball. Yeah. Like the glass part of a gumball because it was sitting on this kind of... Uh, like a dispenser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it looked like to me. But yeah. it's the shape of an alien head. Yeah, it's definitely an alien face. Not like a modern gray alien, but think of like a 1950s big, big you know, bug-eyed monster. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and then it disappears later on in the scene, but definitely an Easter egg, right? Mm -hmm. Not meant to say, oh, there's an alien in the garage. I don't think it's anything that literal. I don't think it... Well, first of all, people can be forgiven that since there was, you know, a fucking UFO. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, I I think they're just fucking with us. I don't think that literally we're... Because that's not a real alien. It doesn't look like it, no. No, I'm like just going to go for it. Uh, it's ceramic recognizably something. some prop thing. Oh, If it oh, was intended okay. to be like a M. Night Shyamalan signs type of alien, I think it would look differently. Or it would move or something. I don't know yeah. if it moved. Like, I would, I'd give it more credence if it looked like that kind of alien. But it looks like yeah. a, you know, again, it looks like a gumball machine sitting in a garage. So I think it's a wink, but I don't think it's predictive. Although... That said, like, I don't think that's conclusive proof that aliens won't factor into this series. And I can't believe I'm saying that. And I'm kind of cool with it. <laughs> because, again, the fish NATO, huge problem. UFOs right off the bat, not a problem. Is well, it that it is? Is it because it's right off the bat? Well, not just right off the bat, but like, let's say that meet Damon comes up with a plan to fool people into thinking aliens are stalking them. And he's doing the full Ed Wood treatment with the pie plates outside the windows of <laughs> flashlights. And he's got a fog machine. And there we've seen this several episodes of elaborate fake alien shit. Yeah. And to cap it off, what ends up killing the main character is an actual honest to God, independence day style mm-hmm. alien blast from above. I would call just as much bullshit <laughs> because okay. you're saying that, you know, you, you can't go biblical plagues that are manufactured by someone to drive someone insane and then have Jehovah of armies show up at the end with a fiery fish tornado. Yeah. The literal plague. And- yeah. Like I don't sure. like that. That feels okay. a little too much bait and switchy, but you want to introduce aliens? And I also, I wouldn't surprise me if somehow this connects to some kind of government. Like, that's just an experimental aircraft kind of thing. Yeah, I've got to imagine that Carl Weathers is going to get involved. The real whole... Carl Weathers? Well, no, not the, <laughs> not the real Carl Weathers. Nick Offerman's character is going to get involved somehow in this alien thing, right? Well, there's... I mean, conspiracy there theorists so and much... aliens go hand I, in you hand. You know, it's funny, because we debated about doing the episode title thing. Yeah. Uh, last week, but oh my god, so much interesting stuff came out of that. Sure, and I, I kind of have the suspicion that Nick Offerman's conspiracy theorist character will be kind of important to this season. Okay, because I can see that he is early on being the one guy saying, "You just watch. This is going to be something bigger. This is going to wind up as." And I think he's not just talking about like, okay, this isn't a random bank job. It's actually a crime. I. I'll be slightly disappointed if that's the only fulfillment of this prophecy. I think there'll be something bigger. Yeah. And also, like, Lou seems like a fairly unflappable guy, right? Yeah. Uh, he goes into this this carnage, and you know, there, I, I think that they actually outright said that he served in Vietnam. Oh, I missed that. Uh, I thought that's the one that was implied when he was talking with Nick Offerman at the bar. Yeah. Um, but he seems like he's kind of comfortable with this level of violence more so than any other kind of like Fargo esque policeman we've seen. But he was really shaken to his core about whatever happened in San Di- in San Diego in uh, Sioux Falls when he's talking to Lester. Mm-hmm. I, may, man, maybe maybe like a blo- I, maybe there is something to his alien stuff. Maybe so. Because just the gang, normal gangster violence, I don't think he really bats an eye on that. Yeah, I mean, it's something that isn't really, you know, considered normal in the northern Midwest, right? Well, I mean, mean, because when you you think that, you don't, I mean, maybe Chicago, that's about as close as it gets to Fargo. When he was talking to this, it was in the context of discussing something with a quasi-biblical evil force, Mm -hmm. which is Lorne. Like, you couldn't outright and say he was the devil, but there was a lot of diabolic things about his character, and you know you could you could make some like okay, this happens, this happens, this can't be explained. Um, yeah, it, it's it's at least debatable, and like unless Sioux Falls has a similar kind of almost quasi supernatural element to it, I don't know why he would make that association. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he would. It's like this, yeah. This, something else is going to have to come to light, yeah. you know? New shit is going to have to come to it, light, man. Indeed, indeed. So, 
I I think that will happen. I mean, the shoe. Obvi- obviously, Ted Danson's character. Uh, don't don't remember his name. Larson something Larson. Uh, Sheriff Larson. There you go. Is more concerned with this shoe than Lou is. Lou feels like almost like he's put a bow on this thing, right? Mm, I didn't get that. Opinion. Like he's he's got the robbery thing going. He's got uh, three dead people. He he thinks that you know they got away with an accomplice. Um, he's got this idea of what happened that we know is inaccurate. But and I don't Ted think... Danson is the one pulling at the loose thread of the shoe. Hmm. So I I wonder if he's going to be the one to kind of push forward, like create the momentum on the the police side of this case. It could be, but I didn't take that as him pulling at the string. I just thought that that was uh, a way to give you an indication that he's no slouch because he found that clue oh, yeah. in the dark at the original crime scene like the the one mm-hmm. of the lead investigators in the same way that their exchange about you thinking it was a botched robbery and like the ted the way he said that ted danson made me imply that it's like that's the what it looks like yeah but you and i both know that that's not what it really is so i don't okay. think that so lou, you think is, lou is better yeah, no i think i think lou is also thinking that this doesn't quite add up there's a lot of stuff that you know, hmm. seems to imply that. But then also you hear, didn't didn't uh, Lou's wife, when he got home, mention that her dad had said that he thought it was uh, a getaway car? And then kind of... I can't remember and, what she I can't yeah. And then Lou kind of like raised his eyebrows and said, oh, you said mm-hmm. that, huh? Been talking to... I see he called, yeah. Yeah, but I, I even don't know that he believes that. Like... Hmm. Yeah, no, okay. I think they're both really good. I think we're going to find I, out they're both really good policemen, and they both think that there's something more to this. But yeah, and like even Ted Danson's like, uh, the you know, it's like uh, if you if you say they're connected, that's what we call jumping to conclusions. Yeah, so they're both. Yeah. That's that's part of being a really good police officer. You know, sure. you notice everything, but you don't ascribe meaning to it necessarily without some context. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I, I think Lou looking out the window um, as they're preparing for bed later that night is is also telling us that's definitely roaming around in his head, right? Like, sure. what is actually happening But here? this is the 1970s. They have forensic evidence, and yep. they've got uh, they got Rye's fingerprints all over his car. That car's got to be registered to somebody that it can connect back to the gang, right? Yeah, I don't know how they're going to get this car repaired without... Well, no, I'm not even <laughs> talking about that. I'm talking about somewhere. at the crime scene, there seems more than enough evidence oh, to point this to... Oh, on his car, yeah. The 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 Fargo Crime Syndicate or the Minnesota Crime Syndicate, yes, the Gerhard Marts. Gerhards, yeah. there you go, Gerhards. <laughs> uh, I I do want to talk a little bit about the the kind of I don't know jokes they're making um, that are historical but work in modern context even better. Like like the the thing with John McCain, right? Oh um, sure. So they're they're the show is using it in the context in which those characters would understand it. If anything, John McCain's even more famous. Exactly. And the torture aspect context. especially is in the public eye because yep. Donald Trump is so dismissive of <laughs> his military service. And, and then the the joke about Pluto is also sure. extra hilarious in a modern context. Right. Because you're not even a fucking planet now. Right? Yeah. Right? And with him dying this episode, it's sure. like that makes a lot more sense, uh, given our modern view on it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was clever. Uh, and that's that's about it. Uh, th- this good night, Mrs. Salverson and all the ships at the sea is, I guess, a reference to a guy named Walter Winchell, who was a radio gossip commentator huh. of the era. Uh, I didn't know who he was. I had to look him up. Did you know that this whole um, Campbell thing with Re- Reagan... That he's been in a lot of Coen Brothers films, mm, like what? So he was he uh, Bill. It's not Bill Campbell. Uh, Bruce Campbell. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, he played as I think this was stock footage of him in a very old soap opera. That was what. Um, that's what they were trying to tune into the cabin. Where they had uh, talking about the original Fargo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I oh. can't remember what those guys' names are. Huh. Um. Yeah, Steve Buscemi. But Steve and, Buscemi and what's his face? And uh, fuck, I he's know got his a real name. name like Gayer, Gazer, or something. Geezer, Geezer. It's some, some kind of crazy name. Well, but, he's Swedish, right? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The guy from the Armageddon. Sure. Uh, 
fuck I know his name. I can't think of it. Anyway, that that he that's what they eventually tune into. They're trying to tune into this Bruce Campbell shitty soap opera. Peter Stormare. That's there you name. go. But he was also, I guess, in the Lady Killers. Oh, which is the one where Tom huh. Hanks is dressed like a like a Count Chocula version of uh, <laughs> yeah. Colonel Sanders, <laughs> and he's also in. I never saw that. It looked so weird, though. And I, I believe I also saw that he was in the Man Who Wasn't There. Nah, so this is either. like having Bruce in this season is kind of an extended Cohen Easter egg in uh, unto okay. itself. Then they had um, a song from the soundtrack of Oh Brother Where Art yeah. Where Art Thou. The siren song was the credit sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, I feel like there's going to be tons of these. This, the UFO, we already talked about that being a reference. Uh, yep. I feel like there's one more that I've forgotten about. Before we get to feedback, uh, wanted to toot, toot our own horns a little bit. That's not, that's not a, a proper name for marketing. No. It's a proper no. name for whatever we're doing Unless here. we're announcing like, hey, we hit a milestone in our marketing prowess. <laughs> <laughs> that will never that be the case. Certainly not true. Uh, but I will we're the, say... We're the rye of marketing. We are. We are. Uh, and I we're about to get hit by Mrs. Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> people ask us, uh, you know, how, how do you do this independent podcasting? How do you how do you, do you keep this thing going as a full-time job? And, and the answer is we found a bag of money and a snowbank uh-huh. and a road back, back in the 90s. And it's gotten us this far, but it's it's actually we're at the bottom of that bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we scraped as much for, with the ice scraper together as we can, and uh, uh, and and now we're we're depending on the generosity of our fans. And there's a couple ways you can support us. We talk about the club.baldmove.com a lot. What all you can get from that? But a lot of people are like don't like that recurring monthly thing, even if it is a reasonable. And that cost me buck money. a month. Yeah, buck a month. I could spend that buck somewhere else. I could tuck that into strippers g string. Absolutely, you could. I could. I could roll that. I mean, up. that would probably be a waste of a single dollar. <laughs> I could. I could roll it up and snort coke if I wanted to go like really trashy with it. Oh yeah. There's a lot of things you can do with the dollar bill. You could fold up, and make it an air, paper airplane. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know what is just a free way to to support us? Amazon.baldmove.com. Your 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 last minute Halloween costume shopping right now. You you can't wait two to four weeks for your costume to be delivered. Uh, Jeff Bezos. Uh, he he can't drone it to you quite yet. Not yet. I mean, you get there in two days. Yep. Easy. And everything you buy off of Amazon when you use the Amazon.baldmove.com affiliate link uh, gives us a little bit of kickback from all that. Gives a, a, a few pennies off of that stripper dollar, off of that <laughs> Coke dollar. Just, just It's like you just shake it and pennies come out of it. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't make the – and I'm not saying now you got 97 cents left. I'm just saying we get those pennies. You just got the dollar. Yeah. There's no shipping. There's no, there's no secret – Fees. There's no bald move fees. It just right off the. We we take it right off the top. We hold it's, up Bezos and we it's, shake it's, him. It's kind of a scam, honestly. <laughs> uh, and and it's something that Amazon allows us to perpetuate. So uh, help us be the piratical podcasters that uh, we want to keep being, and uh, use Amazon.baldmove.com for all of your online shopping needs. Okay, let's get into the feedback. If you want to send us feedback, you can do, you can do so at Fargo at BaldMove.com or on our forums, forums.baldmove.com. Uh, I was traveling on Monday, so I didn't get to start a forum thread. But the great thing about the forum, it's a democracy. So Shane started one for us. Go go you. Yeah. Uh, Jake from Tallahassee starts off and says, Fargo came back with the Cohen-fueled goodness and set the bar pretty high. I love that they basically made Kieran Culkin a Steve Buscemi character in that diner scene. Mm-hmm. Direction is also spot on and continues to stand tall in the golden age. Do you feel a butt coming? No, should I? Well, you, you, your butt detector is way off, Jim, because he <laughs> says, I have a question that I hope you guys consider. When a show pulls almost all of its visual, visual audio thematic cues from another artist, is that brilliant or is that on the hacky side? As impressive as I think Fargo is, it's basically a giant remix using references from every Coen Brothers movie, right down to the opening and closing songs. We debated this a little bit at the top of the show. Yeah, I think your collage analogy is right on. Yeah, and it's, I guess I would call it a hack if this was called, you know, Snow. And they ate this visual style and the story elements and this kind of thing without trying to credit the Coen brothers at all. Yeah. But since they did it and called it Fargo and said, basically you've got an awesome universe in here. Like it's not a hack when, uh, Timothy Zahn writes a star Wars novel and George Lucas, cause he's like, Hey, your universe is pretty cool. I want to jack its characters to tell my own tale. Mm-hmm. That's original. 
but I'm going to use and your it's technology and it's, it's and the, and the other guy says, yes, please use my characters mm-hmm. and, and we will split money and, and creative rights and things. That's that's an EU. Uh, he's That's... essentially writing officially licensed Fargo fan fiction. Essentially, yeah. But it's I don't think it's hacky because the other thing is like, do you consider it hacky when Key and Peele do a pitch perfect version of like an eighties action movie mm-hmm. or slavishly recreate uh, Carl Winslow's outfit from Family Matters to do a skit? Like, uh-huh. if they just did that, if they just you know, did that, and there was nothing funny to it. But what makes it not a hack is the fact that they take that basic setting and then do something that's more than what they started with. Like yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. elevate it. Um, and I think that the, I, I guess so. The guess the line between being hacky and being genius is how how good you can you can pull it off. <laughs> how well you can execute. If you make something that is doesn't besmirch the original material, and in fact maybe broadens its appeal. Yeah. Or it takes it even further because you can tell a more complex story in eight hours, ten hours than you can in two, then it's not hacky. So that's where I stand. By any objective measure or subjective measure, I guess, um, you can't call Fargo hacky or derivative. I agree. And I, I think where a lot of people get tripped up on that idea is where they pull so many archetypes of characters from Fargo. Mm-hmm. And, and you can directly point back and say, see, this character looks exactly or acts exactly sure. like that character. Sure. And they see that as kind of a shortcut to creating a Fargo-like universe. But yeah. Fargo has a feel, and you have to you have to nail that feel. And I feel like that's what they're doing. I'll tell you something else that I'm not feeling at all in the fan community right now. Uh, I haven't seen it in the, in the Bald Move community, but I was reading some stuff on Reddit and some really impassioned things on Alan Seppenwall's blog where people are giving Damon Lind- I'm going to hijack this talk about the leftovers for a minute. They're, they're giving Damon Lindelof shit for Jack and this Pixie song that was used in a similar way for the, I'm, I can't say anything about spoilers, but it was used in a similar context of Mr. Robot. It's the only Pixie song you've ever heard. Yes. <laughs> and it also is a, it's, it's actually a reference to, um, uh, slap town, uh, fight club. Okay. <laughs> Slapped slap club. Uh, that That's would be what they did in the basement. They just slapped each. They other. just slapped yeah. each other. It's it's you know it's, it's as long as it's open fist. It's it's all good. But people are go. They're like, oh, Lindelof's such a hack. He saw Mister Robot and saw this superior thing, and he had to have his thing. And I'm like, if you believe Lindelof, and I have no reason to believe he lied, that was all blocked and locked. The first four episodes. By the time that episode of Mister Robot aired, and sure. also they're both giving credit to Fight Club, which is kind of like the originator and aider of this particular type of storytelling device. So, so, so once fuck somebody, all of you. So is the second homage to something a hack? Like the, the first person to do it gets the homage credit. The second person right, is just if a it happens hack. To you, it's like, I think there's a little yeah. bit of that because like, what if another show did it like a year later? Like there is, <laughs> you know, there is kind of a line between stealing and, and respectful nod to something. Like if you, you know, you take a, a something yeah. and you just rip it off wholesale and change the names. Like, that's obviously stealing. That's theft. I don't think that's in any way what's happening here. No, I don't either. But I'm just saying that, like, there's... It seems like ever since the Nick Pizzolatto thing from uh, True Detective Season 1, which is also bullshit. Yeah. It's like, if you draw inspiration from some other work and and use that to inspire and inform your tone and your characters and maybe even a line or two of dialogue, that's plagiarism and that's hack and that's bull- Man, fuck off. Everyone does that. Every yeah. creative yeah. person does that type of stealing. Either Beca- consciously or subconsciously. Because yeah. every story has been told. Yeah. And and the stuff that you've seen is going to influence the stuff that you create. And sometimes it's, it's conscious. Just and I, sometimes it's conscious. Like, I yeah. really like this, and I want to put my spin on it. And I'm going to give a nod and a wink back to the original. Mm-hmm. Uh as a way to show respect and some of it's unintentional like yeah you know i read this thing 30 years ago that made me feel a certain way and i'm drawing on that feeling and i forgot what it like i just yeah or i have a, a fuzzy image in my head that i think i created whole cloth but actually came from something i saw 15 years yes yeah and i'm gonna put that on screen oh oops it actually is just this thing i saw right like plagiarism is a specific malicious dishonest yeah thing and like i feel like it's being thrown around way too frequently Agreed. by people that are just starting to start trying to start shit and get get noticed 
what critical people circles. on the internet talking which is shit. Uh, which is ironically more of a hacky bullshit thing to do than the thing that they're accusing people they're just of. ripping us off fuck you guys you <laughs> hacks uh, <laughs> i i do have to say though something we failed to mention in the the discussion the music in this is phenomenal oh, yeah. i mean it just evokes this feeling of danger and dread like when specifically the one where kieran culkin has that like background camera shot from the hood mm-hmm. um that's just an amazing piece of music mm-hmm. in my opinion these these beating drums with very little else to accompany them uh kind of makes me think of battlestar galactica as well which has a michael hogan tie in well and like you know when he uh i don't know like i, I feel like that there's a big music swell and key scenes like when he he tells mm-hmm. his brother when uh Dodd tells his brother, Rye, you make me wait again, I'll cleave your skull, and it kind of swells the fart. It's very... Yeah. Leftovers is very similar in that both of their soundtracks elevate the material to where it's already from, which is pretty stratospheric. So, And I yeah. remember that about last season, uh, the, the tension <clears throat> that they're able to build, and then the way they're able to sell certain kind of heroic or uplifting storylines at the same time with largely the same music pieces and cues, hmm. yeah. just how they bring them in and how, you know, how fast or slow they're played. Change it from a minor to a major scale. It's, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's all, <laughs> all well-worn stuff, but it really, really works well. Oh yeah. Any uh, more feedback? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cool. Oh, oh, oh yeah. You betcha. <laughs> uh, Jared B said you were discussing the Fargo season two episode titles in your season preview podcast. And when you mentioned there's an episode titled Fear and Trembling. I remember the first few sentences from the book, which struck stuck with me when I read it a few years ago. The book begins, if you were not eternal consciousness in a man, or if there were not eternal... Wait, wait, wait. The book? Oh, so this is the Kierkegaard book that we were talking about. Oh, okay. I'd forgotten um, that. says, if there were not an eternal consciousness in a man, if at the bottom of everything were only a wild ferment, a power that twisting and dark passions produced everything great or inconsequential. If an unfathomable, insatiable emptiness lay beneath, hidden beneath everything, what would life be but despair? Hmm. He says, I'm not sure how this could tie into the season or the series in general. Are you? Are you not, Jared? Well, <laughs> I think it's a fairly good mission statement. Maybe that's uh, the bubbling to the surface of these darker things, you know? Well, I mean, this explains like Jerry and Lester and whatever Mrs. Spider-Man's name is. Peggy. Peggy, like, and I feel like that as much as this show sometimes touches on the supernatural, it has a very rational, deterministic kind of worldview. Yeah. So it is essentially saying that there isn't, man doesn't have a soul, and we are kind of animals at the very bottom. But then they show people like Molly and Lou. Uh, Who have the first line from that, which is the consciousness or, I or guess. whatever. That, yeah. is, that is guiding them and keeping those things at bay. Yeah, and Marge too. Like those are that 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 these almost like shepherds or guardians among among us. Yeah, I, but I thought that was interesting. Um, then we got some real. So Debbie V and Leslie D started off because uh, one thing I couldn't crack was rhinoceros. I'm like, well, maybe it's a unicorn, obscure unicorn reference. But they mm-hmm. said, could the rhinoceros upcoming episode title possibly be a reference to the Lonesco play of the same name? It's hard to say since season two's story arc is unknown but at, uh, at this time, but keep it in mind. And she included a link to the article which explains this rhinoceros play. Over the course of three acts, the inhabitants of a small provincial French town, which is another way to say a town that you would find in Fargo, mm-hmm. they turn into rhinoceroses. <laughs> Ultimately, the only human that does not succumb to this mass metamorphosis is the central character, Beringer, a flustered everyman figure who is initially criticized in the play for his drinking, tardiness, and slovenly, slovenly lifestyle, then later for his increasing paranoia and obsession with the rhinoceros. The play is often read as a response to criticism to the sudden upsurge of communism, fascism, and Nazism during the height of the events preceding World War II hmm. and explores the themes of conformity, culture, mass movements, mob mentality, philosophy, and morality. And so what does that make you think of? Because I've got something right off the that uh i'm trying to figure out what the symbolism of the rhinoceros is this the soul what it means. solitary figure with increasing paranoia and obsession i wonder if that's hints that nick offerman's yeah conspiracy theorist is going to have some kind of central role 
especially in that episode where where it kind yes. of comes to fruition and we see how oh, everything he's is kind of been right and, all along and and the town turning into rhinoceros could be like all these decent folk turning into these bestial forms I, yeah. I don't know i thought that was interesting and then i mean does a rhinoceros represent stubbornness does it represent uh I, I don't know what the symbolism of a rhinoceros is which is why i'm having a it problem represents with. boners in eastern medicine <laughs> jesus <laughs> just been the rhino's curse all right sure uh, and then Ann LW, if you didn't feel stupid already, mm-hmm. if you want to see what a really smart email looks like, uh, here's, here's one coming up. Uh, and it's a- excellent. I was listening to your preview cast for season two. And as you were going through the episode titles, I noticed a theme which may have slipped your notice. They only struck mine because I literally took a course on this particular subject in undergrad school. Hmm. Several of the titles relate to the theater of the absurd, uh, something I also saw casually referenced in the wikipedia article on the rhinoceros um that's that's for me not Anne. Mm-hmm. Anne continues which is a movement or genre of theater that developed in europe in the late 1950s a general concern with what happens when rules and logic start to or completely crumble hmm. revealing the absurd and irrational nature of existence which seems fairly fargo-esque to me yeah the genre takes its name from a critic who coined a phrase by connecting these plays and playwrights to a 1942 play by alfred camus who she, uh, which uh, she helpfully says is pronounced Camus for me, uh, called The Myth of Sisyphus, episode reference number one, in which he introduced a philosophy of the absurd very briefly. Life has no meaning, and the fact that we keep looking is ridiculous. The last section of the essay compares man's absurd existence with Sisyphus' ongoing struggle with the boulder. Camus asserts that we have to assume that Sisyphus is happy in his toils, as it is not until he goes back down the hill that he realizes his efforts were for nothing, at which point he chooses to begin again. There's an appendix to this essay, which Camus considers another Kafka. Um, whether Kafka, the episode reference number two, qualifies as absurd. He says that Kafka is a great illustration of the absurd condition, but Kafka is a failure as an absurdist because he offers a glimmer of hope. <laughs> the movement has roots in many places, including existentialism, but of note to us includes Kierkegaard, Fear and Trembling, episode reference number three, as you noted, concerns his discussion of Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac. One of Kierkegaard's arguments is more or less that it was because Abraham embraced the absurd and let go of all reasonable and ethical duties and simply accepted the unreasonable demand that God granted him his son back. Perhaps the most famous work of absurd theater is Samuel Beckett's Waiting for uh, Godot, who she helpfully says is pronounced Godot. Uh, in which two characters wait for a man named Godot while their circumstances become increasingly bizarre. Uh, They encounter another odd duo, but Godot never arrives, and by the end of the play, the audience realizes that the characters have likely been stuck in a never-ending cycle of expecting him to arrive not today, but tomorrow. This play is easy to assign various interpretations, including many religious and political ones. But then she gets to the rhinoceros, Hmm. Another iconic absurdist play is The Rhinoceros by Eugene uh, Lonesco for episode reference number five. This fanciful work centers on a bumbling everyman in a provincial town where mm-hmm. everyone starts turning to rhinoceroses, as we yep. say. Yep, yep. Um, by the end of the play, is the only person who's uh, still human, and he's steadfastly resisted, but it's unclear whether there was such a straightforward cause and effect. Like, So is he still human because he resisted, or is he still human for others, is what I think she's mm-hmm. trying to imply. He eventually shows regret for having lost his chance to join into this trend. Themes of the play include a ridiculousness of logic in the face of animalistic passion, moral relativism, conformity, alcoholism, and mob mentality. Like many absurd plays, it's easily read to mean many different things, and she says it's also, like I mentioned, uh, could be the rise of the Nazi party or communism to a commentary on man's lack of connection to nature to hallucinatory effects of too much alcohol. And she says, as far as I know, the gift of the Magi doesn't have any ties to the theater of the absurd, though it fits right in all the actions or fits right in with all the actions coming to nothing and life being unreasonable. And she says, I can't think of anything for the seventh episode title. But, hey, five out of seven is not so bad. Sure. I thought that was fascinating. It is. And Um, it really does seem the more I hear about this and these themes, it really does seem that this theater of the absurd uh, and its worldview informs not just this season, but kind of all of this Fargo wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. I, I recognize, um, a lot of these characters in that email, frankly. Uh, so I imagine probably Noah Hawley or some other 
writer on the show has taken that same course. <laughs> and do you think that like so this singular focus mm-hmm. uh, or the singular point of view that remains human throughout all these other bis- bestial bestial changes? Does that imply that maybe Ted Danson's character, that the sheriff, the local sheriff, is on the take somehow? And you're going to find out that he's a bad guy? I don't guy? know about on the take, but... Because um, that would also he, put he a darker... He buy into the same things that... So I feel like the, the singular guy has to be Lou, right? Lou's the only guy who makes it out of this thing. It could be... That has yeah, any impact on It could be the conspiracy theorist, but then I don't think it's as nice and neat a fit as if it's Lou. Yeah. But what I mean is, like, so, like, it... If if you knew that Ted Danson that that's that uh, Sheriff Larson was kind of under the thumb of the Gerhards, doesn't that put a darker spin on his kind of casual? So you think the state wants this, or can it be a local thing? I mean, yeah, I, it definitely because would. He could try to like he maybe recognizes the car, and yeah, he also looks at the judge and says, "I don't recognize her." Maybe he does, and he's, uh, you know, going to try to run damage control for this or something. I don't know. But if it's a singular righteous man against everybody else who's being corrupted, then that means that either Ted Danson's going to die <laughs> or he's going to turn out to be... Well, I mean, corrupted. What do we mean corrupted? Do we mean... Dirty. Or, well, or... In the ig- way that cops ignoring, are when they work for mobsters. Or ignoring a, a particular facet of reality you know is is lou the one who's going to see through all of the bullshit that no one else can see through or is lou literally going to be the only good person on this show and i I don't i don't see that being the case i mean you don't maybe maybe but i think you know ted danson's character would would be like that isn't that jumping to isn't that making assumptions i agree this (laughs) is yeah this is just me noticing the shoe in the tree I don't know what it means okay. yet, but I'm All saying right. it could. And, and I'm trying to say a shoe is probably just a shoe, but yeah, sure. But that's a that would be a mistake in this. But case. have you considered mm-hmm. fish tornado? You're right. That's the only way. Tor- have you considered a shoe UFO? Can get that high into uh, <laughs> sure tra- UFO <laughs> right? tractor beam could get a shoe that high. Mm-hmm. Car crash can get a shoe that high. I bet it could. I bet it could <laughs> send a fancy shoe flying. All right. What else do we have? That's it. I think that's enough. Okay, those were doozies, yeah. Those were, I mean, uh, not a lot of quantity, but a lot of quality. Okay, then. (laughs) If you'd like (laughs) to send in some more quality feedback, or not so much, you know, that's what I'm here for as an editor, Mm -hmm. uh, you can do so at Fargo at baldmove.com, or again, forums.baldmove.com. I had a miniature stroke. Uh, he was gripping the table. As Colonel Ty in there, my eye just looked <laughs> off to the side, and I didn't know what. I just word salad. Yep, that's what happens. I just suffer a continual number of mini strokes throughout the podcast, <laughs> and somehow he gets through it. Yeah, it's actually a brave struggle. Yeah. Like there'll be some kind of lifetime show about you know word salad podcasting. The, the podcast story. Yeah, podcast that shouldn't have been. <laughs> Uh, all right, yeah. A man who cannot speak gets paid to speak for a living. <laughs> uh, that, that's it. That's it. That's all we got. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this first episode. Looking forward to where the season goes. Oh, yeah. And we will definitely I, be back Honestly, next man, week I feel that. like a kid in a candy store with all yeah. the good stuff we got to talk about right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, three of my favorite shows are on Yeah, right and even if, even if Walking, Bed, uh, Walking Dead totally shits Walking to bed. Walking Bed shits to dead. <laughs> if, if Walking Bed shits to dead. There it happens again. <laughs> another stroke. Uh, can't feel the right side of my face. Uh, and again, I haven't been drinking. Yeah, no, if, even if it's you still got two backup shows yep. that are awesome. Yep. So we can survive the loss of any one. I think still so. keep trucking, I think. All right. Well, we'll be back next week with uh, coverage of episode two. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See you.